0: 1 Peter chapter number 5, Peter now is going to address in the first few verses, he's going to talk about how pastors should lead. So it's kind of like an awkward thing for me because I'm up here talking about really what I'm supposed to be doing, like as a pastor. And so let me just say this uh, humbly, like um, I'm pursuing, constantly pursuing it, being a better leader and being a better pastor. But I'm thankful for God's grace and I'm thankful for your graciousness in uh, in being just an encouragement and a blessing uh, to me as a pastor. You know, there's a lot of statistics that are out there about, um, especially lately, just how many people, like, how many pastors, like, within ministry are uh, resigning or they have feelings of wanting to resign, just a lot of pressure within ministry. Now, that being said, let me say this, like, I'm not going to— um, be dishonest with you that like, oh, it's always just super easy. There's difficult times. However, it is such a joy because of our church, because of you guys, you make it a joy to be able to do what I do because I love our church. I love spending time with our church family. I love getting up and teaching and preaching the word of God. And so I can honestly say like, I haven't had those thoughts and I'm not saying like it's never, there's never going to be a difficult season of ministry. Um, As a pastor, but um, when I see some of these things it actually grieves me, I feel bad because for me, it's like, I'm actually not discouraged. I'm very encouraged and by God's grace, but also because of the church that I get to lead and pastor. I love you guys. I'm thankful for you guys, but let's look at what Peter's going to talk about to the pastors. So keep in mind, things are difficult at this time, and they're going to get a lot more difficult economically. It was a disaster. Politically, it was a disaster. Things were tough. And Peter's going to write them saying, yeah, and it's going to get worse. Things are going to continue to get worse. So as we look at our culture around us, we think, man, wow, we can relate. We can relate. There's a lot of stress. Economically, there's a lot of stress. Politically, there's a lot of stress just with what's going on in culture around us. And, And yet, you know what? Here's the thing. There's no guarantee that here in this life, in our lifetime... That things are going to get better. I mean, maybe they will. Or things might get worse. But yet we find a great hope and confidence in God and in his word that God is going to sustain us. And this is what Peter's going to tell. And he's, he's this is what he's writing to these churches. And he's now specifically addressing pastors and leaders saying, look, when the heat gets turned up, when things get tougher, we don't need pastors and leaders to... To take a step back, we need them to step up and to lead and to lead well. And this is my desire. And and by the way, lest you think like, you know, this first few verses that we're going to talk about is only applicable for myself. No, all of us have areas of leadership in our life. And our desire should be that we'll lead and that we'll lead well. So Peter's going to address the pastor. He's talking about, listen, during difficult times, church and pastors here specifically, you need to lead well in church. You need to find your flock. You need to find your shepherd. You need to find people in your life that you can have true community with. This is important. It's always important, but especially in dark, difficult days. This is not the time for the church to be, to, to, to be divided. It's the time as a church. We need to be united. We need to be there for one another. We need to see the importance of this so he says the elders which are among you i exhort he's like i'm I'm giving you a word of encouragement also a word of instruction to the elders that word elders we see that in the scripture you see elder you see pastor you see shepherd these are terms really it's all the same office it's it's the pastors that are leading local churches Peter's saying, I'm exhorting you. And he says, I'm also an elder. I'm also one of you. He says, and I'm a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So Peter's saying, again, the context of suffering here for Christians. He's saying, look, he's pointing them once again to the ultimate example of Christ. It's like Christ suffered. You're going through hard times. So did Christ. Right, So did Christ. He suffered for us. And that's kind of a common theme we see in First Peter. Peter's talking about suffering, difficult times. Church, you can have courage. Church, you can be comforted. Church, you can be strengthened because Christ also suffered. Christ also suffered. He says, now he's talking again to pastors. Feed the flock of God which is among you. So the first instruction is pastors, feed the flock. Now, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean, even though we eat a lot of food here at Crosspoint when we have gatherings, it's not talking about feeding physically. Though, like some of the kids who come to Crosspoint, it's like they associate this is the church with donuts and pizza because we must have a lot of pizza and donuts. But hey, that's not a bad thing. Well, he's not talking about feeding in the physical sense. He's about spiritually feeding. And that doesn't mean that, that each and every one of us as believers shouldn't be in the word of God ourselves and and studying the word, reading the word. In fact, that's really really important that we're doing that. Don't just come on Sunday and hear the word. Be in the word of God throughout the week. Spend time in prayer. Be growing and and maybe it's maybe you're reading, maybe you want to read through the book of the Bible that we're in that we're preaching through and you want to read through that During the week and read through it multiple times, have a better understanding. Maybe there's a particular studies or another book of the Bible that you want to study and you need help getting resources to help you study that. We want to provide that. We want to help, help you with that. In fact, we have an opportunity. We'll talk about, um, at the end of the, the service, we, you've heard us talk about faith Bible Institute. It's an opportunity we give to our church where you can dive deeper in the word of God. And it's a three hour course on, on Sunday afternoons. You can do it in person or remotely. Listen, why? Because all those things are important to have, be nourished from the word of God. But here, Peter's pointing out, pastors, now's the time you need to, like never before, feed the flock. You need to preach and teach the word of God. That is a primary responsibility for pastors to do this, to do this. And sometimes there's a lot of pressure In our culture today where pastors need to be like you know ceos and businessmen and there's some really good things and good aspects of that and i personally want to grow in those areas but ultimately look the church isn't a corporation it's a family the church isn't a business the church is a family now that being said like in the family you know it you got to be organized Within the family, you got to talk about budgeting and money sometimes. So I'm not saying that we ignore all those things. I want to be wise and I want to grow and thank God that we have a church where I'm surrounded by people that can give insight and give help in those areas. And I'm thankful for that. But ultimately, look, as pastors, we need to see our primary responsibility is the teaching and preaching of the word of God. And I want to grow in that area. I want to teach and preach the word of God in a way that's, that's relevant, but also in a way that's truly teaching what does God's word say? What does God's word say? Because, I mean, we have a whole Bible to preach and teach from. It would be a horrible disservice to just get up and tell, you know, funny jokes or funny stories. And you guys don't like my jokes anyway. Um, but it would be a great disservice to get up and just give some pep talk instead of teach and preach the word of God. And that is my desire. And I believe that's yours as well, to be part of a church where you're going to actually hear what does God's word teach? Peter's saying, Hey leaders, Hey pastors, I know there's difficult days. You need to step up. You need to feed the flock of God, preach and teach the word of God. And then he says, take oversight that, that, that's, that's leading that's leadership. Now's not the time when there's difficult times. It's not the time that we need less leadership. We need more leadership. And look, I'm not the judge of any other local church that's out there. Those are pastors that they'll stand before God. They'll give an account for themselves. But it's, it's alarming to see the last couple of years in difficult days. So many people not wanting to lead. So many people not wanting to make any decision. And here's why. I get it. Because they feel like, oh, no matter what I decide on certain issues or certain areas. And not not even necessarily, I'm not even necessarily talking about like, you know, clear doctrinal issues. Though, I mean, that could be a whole whole other subject. But just even decisions within the local church, how the church is going to operate. You see so much of just people not wanting to make any decision. And I get it. I understand. Because so many pastors, so many leaders felt like. No matter what decision I make, I'm going to have people angry and upset. Well, yeah, well, welcome to being a leader, right? Like, you guys know that. Like, anytime you make a decision, you have people under you, not everybody's going to like it. But as leaders, we need to lead. Now, he's going to, Peter's going to point out the balance. Like, don't be a dictator. Don't be the kind of leader that doesn't take any advice or any input. Don't be the leader that's lording over people, treating people like they belong to you. He's like, don't, don't do that. But as leaders, as pastors, now's the time we need, we need to lead. And by the way, our local assemblies, because sometimes there can be a temptation with pastors where it's like, they're so concerned about this online platform and influence Now, thank God for technology. It's a good thing. Like I just mentioned, I'm thankful for so many good resources that look on a weekly basis i will point out good resources for people to go and listen to from whether it's other pastors or or theologians or people that are defending the faith like in in certain uh in certain areas maybe with like talking about giving the defense of our faith um, against atheism or just even with some of the hot button topics of our day i am thankful that there's people out there that do a really good job in some of those areas that I can point to people, hey, here's a great resource. Go listen to this. Watch that this could be really helpful. Nothing wrong with that. Those are all wonderful things. But as a pastor, primarily, you know what my responsibility is? Is to my local church. Is not to want some online platform with people that I've never met and won't know. But to actually be there for my church. To be able to spend time. With our church getting to know our members and getting it, preaching and teaching the word of God to our members and, and praying for you guys and knowing you guys and this is something I think that we have to get back to and it's really encouraging because I think that, that we are where we're where pastors aren't seeking this celebrity pastor status. Where they just show up on stage and preach this bombastic message but they don't actually know their, their congregation they don't know the needs they don't pray with them and spend time with them and i get it as churches grow that's harder to do and you got to develop other leaders who can do the same but first and foremost as a pastor i recognize this and i hope i'm doing this well i hope i continue to do this well and grow in this area is i want to actually spend time and know my church i want to be there for our church And I think this is what Peter's saying, look, as pastors, be there. Preach and feed the flock. Preach the word of God. He says, give oversight. In other words, lead. Be good leaders. But he says this, don't do it by constraint, but rather willingly. But rather willingly. In other words, he's saying, don't act like you're doing this out of guilt and obligation. You should want to do this with a joyful heart. And again, as I mentioned, and I, I, I truly mean this. I said this at 930 as well to our, our church. I truly, sincerely mean this. You guys make that so easy to where I love doing what I'm doing. And he says, look, as pastors, it shouldn't be like out of constraint or this obligation or this, this guilt. I'm not saying like, oh, it's always easy and that I always feel like, you know, doing things that, I'm, that I like. Yeah, I'm human. There's times it's difficult. There's times I don't feel like doing certain things, but, but you guys make it to where it's a joy to do that. And I thank you for that. Peter's saying, look, don't do it out of obligation. And, and, and you know what this is like? Have you ever been, um, pressured into doing something that you don't want to do? Any spouses, any husbands ever feel like your wife, she, she, um, she doesn't volunteer you. You're voluntold right? And you feel like, oh, I kind of have to do this. It's out of obligation. It's out of guilt or someone, try, you know, someone really just pressures you into doing something and you don't want to do it. That is not a fun thing. To, that's not a fun thing to experience, right? Peter's saying, look, leaders, pastors don't lead like you're being forced to do this. Do it eagerly. Do it willingly. Some of you might work with people where it's like they, they just, they don't enjoy it. And like, again, yeah, not that not work's always like super fun and enjoyable, but maybe you work with somebody, they just try to do the bare minimum, and, and they're just always complaining, always dragging people down, and sometimes that can be because of poor leadership. But the point is this, you don't accomplish as much when you do that. Peter said, like, look, pastors, elders, here, he's like, I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you. Feed the flock of God. Take oversight. In other words, be leaders. He says, not by constraint, but rather willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. We talked about that ready mind. And he says, it shouldn't be for filthy lucre. Like, well, what does that mean? Well, it's referring to doing something for some ulterior motive. Like, and actually here, this is talking about don't do it for financial gain. Don't do it for financial gain. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that a, a church can't pay a pastor. I'm actually really thankful that we've been at the spot as a church for the last several years. I can do this as my full-time job where I can pour, I can pour the time and energy and effort all into ministry because I can do it as my full-time job. Peter's not saying don't do that. Peter's telling pastors, make sure your motive isn't just for financial gain. And let's just be honest, because this isn't hidden anymore. And especially as of in the last few years, you see like, and there's whole like documentaries made of some of these churches, some of these, some of these pastors, these celebrity pastors. And you see like the kind of lifestyle they're living. Just it's obscene. I mean, they're like multiple multi-million dollar homes, you know, and then all these vacation homes and they, they, they have like this entitlement of, oh, I got to fly like on this private jet when I go places and, and just like, I mean, what a first of all, what a disconnect from reality, you know, like the, the, like 95% of your congregation guys doesn't have a clue of what that kind of lifestyle to me. It just seems like it's just what an insult to the people that you're asking and, and, and encouraging in some cases, manipulating to try to give more, to give more money. And honestly it's a black eye upon christianity it's a black eye upon what i would say honestly the vast majority of pastors and churches that's not how they operate but like we see a lot of times like when it's in the media or maybe like a high profile pastor or church and you're just like it's really disappointing it's really disappointing to think yeah they're not really doing what they're doing because they're called of god they're not really concerned about actually being there for their local congregation they just want this this lavish celebrity style lifestyle and and that's unfortunate peter's saying look pastors leaders don't don't do it for that don't do it for money don't do it because of some uh popularity or 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 some ulterior motive he's like that's not how pastors are supposed to lead Look, I say that I've actually been part of every size of church, like really small churches, average sized churches, mega churches. And some of the, the, the most gracious, humble pastors that I've met are actually pastors that are pastors of mega churches, of very large churches. So I'm not saying that, okay, automatically a mega church is bad. That's not necessarily, that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying no matter how big or how small pastors can be guilty of doing what they're doing for an ulterior motive. Peter's saying, pastors, be faithful, be faithful. Don't do what you're doing out of, out of guilt or manipulation. He says, don't do it for, for what you can gain financially from, from the church. And again, most pastors, most pastors, like they, they live just average lifestyles. But again, like it's When we see on the media, it's highlighted sometimes where we see just pastors that are just complete. It's a complete, it's a complete disconnect from the people that they're even ministering to. Peter's saying, look, don't do it. Don't do it for some ulterior motive. And he says, well, verse number four, he's like, he said, or sorry, verse three, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but rather he says, be examples to the flock. In other words, don't lead as a dictator. Don't lead in the sense of being a control freak over people. Now, yes, as pastors, we should provide leadership and oversight. And and for many of us, because we know each other and we have that relationship, we can speak open and we can sometimes even vice versa. We can tell, tell each other things that maybe aren't always pleasant to hear, but things we need to hear. Some people think automatically any kind of leadership is a dictatorship just because they don't like being told what to do by anybody. Uh, Peter's saying, look, you need to provide leadership, but don't act like, like you're the boss of people. It's not my church. It's God's church. Right? He said, Jesus is the chief shepherd. The church belongs to Christ. Now, as pastors, it does refer to us as shepherds in the sense That we're to lead, we're to guide, we're to protect the flock, provide and and preach and teach the word of God to our flock. But he's saying, don't lead in a controlling way. Maybe you've experienced that in the past. Where you just felt like maybe Christian leaders in your life have been very manipulative. Where they've, they've said one thing, they expect one thing from you, but then they don't live like that. Now again, as pastors, we're human. So I promise you, if I haven't yet, I'll disappoint you at some time. I'm human. I'm human. Thank you for not saying amen too loud. (laughs) Fellow pastor, though, who understands this, right? We're we're human. We're human. But we should be living an example. In, In other words, I think what Peter's saying here, he says, don't be lords over God's heritage, but be examples to the flock. In other words... Respect isn't something you can demand from someone. It should be something that you get because of your example. Because of your example. Yes, what we say is important. We're we're told to preach and teach the word of God. We're told to say those things, but we also need to be living it. and And that's my desire, and I fall short in that area. But I'm pursuing that, and I want to be a better pastor. And again... Say, oh, well, okay, all these verses are just talking about you as a pastor. Well, no. no. The, again, there's application for each and every one of us. Because every one of you has leadership in some area of life. Lead by example. Lead by example. Be a good leader. And he says, likewise, younger, submit yourselves unto the, the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. You know what we need in our church and in churches? We need to have a dress code. We need to have a dress code. A dress code of humility. Right? Not like maybe the church you grew up in or were in where it's like kind of people kind of eyed. You know, looked at you weird if you didn't have like, you know, this, this full suit or, you know, this certain attire that they expected. I'm not talking about a, a, an actual dress code. But he says, be clothed with humility. Clothe yourself in humility. This is what we need within our relationships in the church humility. This isn't something that's new. We've, we've seen Peter already talk about this. We see Paul when we talked about his letters to Corinth um, and in Roman, like all throughout scripture, you know what we find within relationships, like within the church and even our relationships without the church, you know what we need to have humility in those relationships where we're putting others above ourselves. So again, understand the context here. Peter saying things are difficult church. And they're going to get a lot more difficult. Now's the time you need to find your flock. Find your community, in other words. Have your people. And in those relationships, be humble with one another. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. Now's the time you need that flock. You need to have a shepherd. Of course, Jesus, the the chief shepherd. You need to have pastors and leaders in your life. You need to have other believers in your life. We need this. We need this because, because he's going to talk about in a few verses, we have an adversary. Satan wants to devour us. And you know who he's going to devour? He's going to devour the sheep that are isolated. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that just being in a church or part of a church automatically, you know, oh, you're good and you don't have to do anything on your own. That's not the point. But the point is this. We have an enemy that wants to absolutely destroy us and devour us. And he's going to have a much harder time doing so when we're within the flock, when we're within a community of other believers and we're submitting to one another and we're submitting first and foremost to our savior. Amen. He says, look, submit to one another, be clothed with humility. Why? Because God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Wow. What a convicting verse. And he says, so because of that, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. He says, you humble yourself, God's the one that's going to elevate you and exalt you. And we're going to see it's not for our glory, it's for for God's glory alone. But the point is this, when we're worried about a platform and we're worried about being recognized and we're worried about success and we're worried about recognition, a lot of times we're trying to elevate ourselves going to fall flat on her face. You ever been there? I've been there, but he says, rather be humble, humble yourself in the sight of God. That doesn't mean you can't have ambition and goals and, and you can't have your, uh, what, what is it called now? In, in, uh, today the, um, the, uh, what are the chart the the pictures, the charts? What are they? What are the, uh, no vision board. Thank you. Vision board. Like, Hey, nothing wrong with those things. Nothing, yeah, aim for the stars or, well, yeah, have goals. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with having things you're shooting for. Trying to do better at something. Peter's not condemning that when he says be humble. But he is saying, look, don't just pursue all the accolades here. Don't just pursue all the recognition because you may or may not get it here and now. Whether that's pastors, whether it's just each and every one of us as believers. He's saying, you know what? God's the one that's going to exalt you in due time. In due time. Because here's the thing. Maybe the success that you're craving, maybe the recognition that you're craving, you're just not ready for it right now. And God knows what you think is going to be what, you, what you're pursuing. God knows that now's not the time. ...for you to have that exaltation, so to speak. God knows you're not ready for that, maybe. And he says, look, in due time... ...God's the one that's going to exalt you. God's the one that's going to elevate you in due time. And not elevate us in the sense of where we're proud. That would be opposite of the point Peter's trying to make. But he'll exalt us. In other words, leave the results to God. Work hard. Have the vision boards. Have goals. Have goals. Whatever you're doing in your profession, be the best you can be at it. If God puts on your heart to pursue another, those are great. But recognize this. Just be humble. Be humble. Hand to the plow. Work hard. And let God, let God be the one who exalts in due time. And this is important in every relationship. We have this, this humility. He says, casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Wow, what an awesome verse. Casting your care, that care, same, same word in Philippians where it talks about be careful for nothing. It's not talking about being careful like, oh, be careful not to hurt yourself. It's talking about that anxiety. Is that anxiety that you have, that fear that you have? He says, cast it upon the Lord. And he says, because he careth for you. Keep in mind, the audience Peter's writing to is probably a lot of people that were saved out of pagan religions. And the only thing they knew of their pagan false gods that they worshiped before they came to know the, the true living God was they had to please the gods. They had to do all these things to gain acceptance. And they better be careful. It's like the the, the, the visual of, of four with the hammer ready to just come down and, and, and crush you. And Peter says, no, the one true God that you now serve and follow, you can take your burdens. You can take your problems. You can take all your anxiety and you can cast it on the Lord. And he says, why? Because he actually cares for you. God cares for you. What you're going through, it might seem insignificant to people around you, but what you're facing, maybe it's things without, maybe it's things within that's causing anxiety right now. And that's very, very real. You have a God who actually cares for you and wants you to bring those things to him. Now, sometimes... God'll put that weight on you to because he has a purpose in it and he's going to sustain you through it and he's going to strengthen you. But we have a God that says, "Look, maybe for a season of time he allows you to go through that, but he says that anxiety, those problems, cast it on, cast it to the Lord because he cares for you." I'll talk a little bit more of that verse here as we conclude in a moment, but But now he says this, be sober. In other words, be serious minded. You have an enemy. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I mean, this is just Peter's just being blunt. He's giving straight talk here saying you have an enemy and he wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. Satan wants to destroy us. Now, if you're a believer and you know the Lord, Satan can't take your soul. Satan can't steal that salvation from you. But you know what? He wants to take your joy away. And he wants to take your effectiveness away as a believer. And so I think sometimes we're way too casual and careless in our Christian life. We almost have, I think because of pride, almost like we have this mentality. Like we're just like invincible and always... in, don't have to worry about that. No, he's saying be, be sober, be, be serious minded because you have an enemy that wants to devour you. But thank God, he says you can resist. Verse nine, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are around the world. I love this because he's encouraging these churches. He's encouraging these churches saying, listen, you're not the only one going through this. You're not the only one that's facing these adversities. You're not the only one facing these difficulties. Other believers are facing these things. Again, not that we rejoice that other believers are going through hard times. We actually can weep with them and pray for them. But he's saying, look, you have something in common. It's not just you. Other believers are going through the same thing. And so he's saying, you can take courage in this. You can find hope in this. He says this, but the God of all grace... ...who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that ye have suffered a while, he'll make you perfect or complete. And he'll establish you and strengthen you and settle you. In other words, he's saying, listen, you might be going through a lot of adversity now... ...but God has a purpose in it. And God is going to settle you and strengthen He's like, after a little while, that little while might be a short time on this earth, or maybe it's going to be a lifetime on this earth. To a certain extent, we're always going to have trials. I know that's not a real encouraging word, but the reality is Peter's saying... Hey, there's a better day that is coming. Remember in chapter one, he reminded them of the hope they have because Jesus rose from the dead. He says, you have an inheritance that's waiting in heaven. You have eternal life. You have so many blessings that are yet to come here. The reality is this, that as Christians, we are promised health, wealth, joy, no pain, no suffering, none of that. Just not here in this life. That day is coming one day. When Christ returns, when the chief shepherd returns, and he's saying this, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. You're going to be glad. Talks about to him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Talks about the crown that you're going to receive in verse four of glory fadeth not away. And in other words, he's saying, look, Christians, I know you're going through difficulties. Things are bad. Things are bad, and they might get worse. In fact, historically, we think that between 1 Peter and 2 Peter, somewhere in that time frame, Rome was going burn to burn to the ground, and Nero's going to blame the Christians for it. Now, there's some speculation Nero started the fire in Rome. We don't know that. I mean, it's hard to really track down where those particular sources came from. But one thing we do know from history is that Nero did blame the Christians for it. And he went after them. And many Christians we know historically suffered greatly and died. And and, and Peter's saying, look, things are bad. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But you know what? You might suffer for a little while, but God's going to get that final word. You're going to have a crown of glory that's never going to fade away. They're saying, look, it might, you might not get all those recognition, and you might not be. You might not have that that glory, so to speak, or applause in this life, but he said, but that's coming. It will be worth it, is what he's saying. Now, thank God we know it's worth it right now to serve and follow Christ. Amen. Because the greatest blessings aren't aren't just a life of ease and comfort. It's having true joy that comes from God. It's his grace in our life. Peter's saying, look, but you know that that glo- it's going to be worth it because that you're going to receive that crown of glory. It says that fadeth not away. And he says, ultimately, here's what it's about. To him, talking about Christ. Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you. I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. So he's making reference to Sylvanus or perhaps Silas. He's saying that he's the one that's written this. Now these are Peter's words, but Peter's using a scribe and that's not uncommon. That wouldn't have been uncommon at all. Peter's dictating for what what Sylvanus is to write. And you might think, well, big deal. Why is that important? Well, I think it's really important, especially now because most modern day scholars, they're going to tell you They're going to tell our kids this. They're going to say, Peter was not the author of 2 Peter. It's a fake. It's a forgery. Peter Peter didn't write 2 Peter. Somebody wrote it, but it wasn't Peter. And here's why. They're going to say, because the way the Greek is written from 1 Peter and 2 Peter is just completely different. It's completely different. We'll talk more about this when we get into 2 Peter. But, I mean, honestly, it's not really a big problem for us because... Peter's clear. He's using a scribe to write first Peter. It could be something as simple as, you know, his man Sil- Silvanus wasn't around to write second, to, when he was dictating second Peter. It could be something super simple like that. The point is this, that, that God has preserved his word for us, right? And, and yes, it was human authors that wrote it. But they wrote it as God moved them to write it. It came from God. That's called the doctrine of inspiration. That God wrote his word. Peter's saying, yeah, I had a scribe that wrote this. And then he says, the church that is in Babylon elect together with you. He's reminding them, hey, there's other believers. there are with you. There's other believers all over the world. Whether this is like literally the city Babylon or some think he's referring to really like the Roman Empire. Because Babylon can be used to describe other places in scripture. Again, not necessarily of, of utmost importance. But it's just one of those things that's curious. Maybe that's what he's referring to. And then he gives greetings. He says like the, the, the that church, they salute you or they give greetings. And so does Marcus, my son. It's talking about Mark. Who wrote the gospel of Mark. And what we know is in the gospel of Mark, this is interesting, is that, that the gospel of Mark was probably the first of the gospels that was written. I know Matthew comes first in our Bible, but the Bible's not in chronological order, right? But, but Mark was probably the first gospel written. And you know what we think? That, that Mark probably got a lot of his information about some of these eyewitness accounts from Peter. And he's saying, look, Mark... Mark greets you as well. He's given these greetings from other believers. He says, "Greet one another with a kiss of charity." We talked about this, like this in scripture. Like Paul talks about this too, like about about a holy kiss or a, a greet. Greet one another with a kiss, and it seems odd. Well, that's because we don't do that in our culture. Our culture is a handshake or a fist bump, right? Well, their culture, they they give a kiss on the cheek. That was just normal. I know it seems really really weird, but again, that's not our culture. That's why it seems. Weird to us. In fact, I don't recommend you do that in our, in our culture. People will get the wrong idea. And you might end up in jail. Greet one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you. All that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's like, really, Peter? Peace be with you? Man, you know we're suffering. You know what we're going through. And it's about to get worse. And he says, peace be with you. He says, peace be with all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Because that peace... That peace in our life, it doesn't come from the circumstances around us. And I know we freak out, and I do the same thing. You can ask my family, because they'll they'll be honest and test when when there's a lot going on and a lot of stress, you know what? I can find myself getting really worried and worked up and stressed out. But true peace, true peace in our heart doesn't come from because of what's going on around us. It comes from who we have within us that comes through Christ. Peter's saying, yeah, the fiery trial's real. The fiery trial's real, but you can have peace. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I have a friend that let me borrow this weighted vest. I'm going to try to put it on. I almost ripped my whole microphone off in the uh, 930 service. So I'm going to try to put this on without hurting myself or destroying the microphone. Peter says those, those burdens, you can cast them upon the Lord. So a burden, it's like it's something heavy that you're carrying around. He says casting all your care upon him for he careth for you peter's saying listen yes you're going through difficult times yes you're going through adversity church and things might get worse and it might feel like like you're carrying these heavy burdens i mean we can see why they would have burdens why they would why they would have this heaviness why they would have anxiety and he says you can cast those burdens upon the lord i think many times you know, we don't have joy, we don't have a peace. Because we're trying to carry all of these burdens upon ourselves. We think, well, I just gotta I gotta just I, I just gotta force force through this. I have to just be stronger. And yes, God will give you strength, and sometimes God will allow you to carry that for a while for his purpose, he'll allow you to go through those difficult times. But you know, many times I think we're carrying around burdens we're carrying around this anxiety we're carrying around maybe it's grief or depression could be a number of things we're carrying things around that God did not mean for us to carry and I love what Peter says to a group of people that are suffering to a group of people that are going through extreme difficulty he says look God cares for you God cares for you And he says, those burdens that you can cast it upon him, that you can put those burdens at the feet of Christ because you have a God who truly loves you, who truly cares for you. And you and I have a God that cares. Whatever we're going through, we can take those burdens and we can go to him with that. It doesn't mean that life all of a sudden just, automatically becomes easier, but it does mean that we have a source of strength that God says he invites us to come to him and cast those burdens upon him. And I wonder today, what is it that you need to just cast upon the Lord? What is it maybe that you're right now struggling with truly wondering if God even cares about what you're going through? Know this, You do have a God that cares. He cares very much. And ultimately, God has a purpose in everything that you're going through. It's gonna be used for his glory, but he says, you're not gonna have to carry it alone. In fact, he says, come and cast that burden upon me. Cast it upon the Lord, because he cares for you. Let's pray. So our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe God is speaking specifically to you about something. Maybe there's a burden in your life, something that's just weighing so heavy on you. It's anxiety. Maybe it started with just a grief. You're you're grieving over someone. You're grieving over something and that grief has turned to anxiety. Maybe you're just truly anxious and fearful about the future. That's understandable as we look at the world around us. But you know what? Whatever that anxiety is, Cast it at the feet of Jesus because he truly cares for you. Take a few moments in prayer.